Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free Posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Hey guys, we have a double episode for you today with two different Clubhouse chats. The first one is with co-hosts Lanka Jones and Ann Landstrom, and they interview Michelle Salentano, just getting even deeper and just more details about her story, about how she ended up getting into family photography, and just lots of those secret tips that she has for posing groups and families. And you can also hear Michelle's full episode with her entire story in episode 40 of The Portrait System, so make sure to check that out. And then our second chat is with Sarai Taylor-Roman and Donna Maria Jones, and they chat all about what it's been like for them as far as having to shut down their businesses, what they've been up to, how they've kind of muscled through it all, and just overall, what it's been like reopening their studio now that the quarantine rules have kind of loosened. So both chats are really great and inspiring today. So excited for this one. So please enjoy today's episodes. So I would like to officially welcome Lenka and Anne as our guest hosts today uh, for this bonus episode of the Portrait uh, System podcast. Our special guest today is Michelle Celentano. Go ahead, ladies, uh, take it away. Thank you so much, Ella. So for those of you who don't know Michelle, and I'm pretty sure everybody does, but for those of you who don't, Michelle is a canon explorer of light and a speaker, educator, and author of the family posing series that is available at the Portrait Master Store. And I have to tell Michelle, you teach how to master the art of shaping groups and the ability to post families is, is just truly amazing. And I, I would even say that posing families and groups is, is really a superpower. And so tell us a little bit more. Why, why, why families? Was this the genre that you chose to start with? Or how did you become this amazing family photographer? Well, thank you. Um, my journey actually started as a wedding photographer in uh, New York. Uh, this is I'm in my 30th, 30-something year of photography. Um, so I think um, family posing and group posing started for me in the wedding genre because that's such an important part of the day is, you know, group posing. I mean, tons of posing, right? Bride and her mom, bride and her dad, bride, and mom and dad, like all of those combinations. And early on in my career, I studied, um, you know, formal portraiture, which was a huge help in that. And, um, and then just continued from there. I think uh, over time, um, you know, mastering, uh, putting groups together, it, it's, it is definitely a superpower. And it's, I think, one of the things that photographers stress over the most um, when it comes to, you know, hearing that they're going to do more than three people, three, four, five, six, seven people. 
Um, but when you break it down and you kind of um, have a formula, not a formula of a set set groups of posing, for example, if you have four, do this. If you have five, do this. Um, it, it's really more of learning to understand body shapes, sizes, puzzle pieces, and then understanding how to put all of those puzzle pieces together so that you can make every single person in a group portrait look their very best. So um, that's what the series is all about. And it was a, a blast to do. And um, I think that when you have those tools and that that knowledge, then you will never fear posing groups again, because you'll start to see uh, people bodies as puzzle pieces, as opposed to like, what do I do with like 10 people, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I think it all started with wedding photography. And over the years, I think my photography has evolved kind of in tandem with my life. In my early 20s, you know, I was, uh, you know, engaged and newly married and all my friends were married and getting married. And so wedding photography was like the thing I never thought in my life I would uh, give up wedding photography and go into family portraiture. But as I had my own daughter and then started photographing children and then children turned into uh, families. And now that's primarily what I photograph uh, families high school seniors. Um, I have given up wedding photography at 51. It just hurts the body too much now. <laughs> and I like being home on the weekends. So, um, so yeah. I remember seeing you at WPPI as a speaker, uh, as a wedding photographer. And you were always one of my favorite speakers because you are such an amazing teacher, Michelle. You really have a gift of getting the audience who are watching you to fall in love with what you do and the way you're teaching, not only for weddings. I, was, I saw you on Portrait Masters. Oh my God, when you were staging, how many people on stage that one time? Was it like 50 people? <laughs> I think it was 50 people. Yeah, <laughs> it was so much fun. But it was so amazing because you learned so much and the way... Uh, once you get the whole triangle concept and all of that, the way you're teaching has just really helped me a lot in how I post big groups because it can get tricky when you have different sizes, different ages and everything. So who was like your mentor to, to get to become where you are right now? Uh, my first real, I was very lucky when I decided to enter the world of professional photography. I went to school in New York City for commercial fashion photography, um, which taught me nothing about weddings or family portraits or anything like that. I thought I would go more towards commercial fashion, um, but I joined professional organizations at a very early age because I had a lot of people around me, photographers who were like, got to get involved with the organizations. So I became a member of uh, professional photographers of great in New York, and they were a subchapter of the New York State, which is a chapter of PPA and then joined WPPI very early on as well. And I think that that was uh, monumental in helping to shape my career. I was, I always had, uh, I always had a network of people around me that I could learn from. And I did at least two to three week long in-person workshops every single year, which was probably some of the most valuable education. So an early mentor for me was Monty Zucker and uh, totally dates myself. Uh, he was a master, master at posing, uh, posing people together. 
um, the triangles, all of that. I learned so much of that from Monty Zucker. And then Hanson Fong was also another uh, strong, very strong influence in my life. And lucky, luckily enough, they both became very good friends over the years. And so, so much of what, uh, what my work revolves around today is the teaching from uh, those two gentlemen, and then, you know, continuing education with, uh, you know, people like Sue Bryce over the years. And, uh, you know, as Lindsay Adler came up into the industry and, you know, then studying business and all of that. But um, yeah, I was very, very lucky to be mentored in my 20s uh, as I started this career. And I, I, most of my posing today, I would say, comes from Monty Zucker and Hanson Fong. And yeah, I'm I'm very blessed in my career. And yeah, so... <laughs> I love that. And, and and it's so true. I couldn't agree more with you, Michelle. When it comes to photo photography, you can obviously learn a lot online by watching people doing something, but there's no comparison to actually doing it. And, and when it comes to posing, it's definitely something that you need to, to practice and, and perfect before you can say that, you know, I, I know how to pose people. So I would like to know what would you say, what makes a great group photograph? I think the first thing that makes a great group photograph is expression. I mean, your posing can be off, but um, if everybody has a, a great expression and they look great, you will sell it every time. Um, so I, I encourage people not to get so anxiety ridden about the entire group being perfect. You will learn to refine your posing as you go. But if you create a connection with an entire group and you can get everyone looking their very best, then you'll, you'll sell it every time. But um, beyond expression is making sure that every person in that portrait looks proportional in the portrait. So you may have, um, you know, a pear shaped woman who is, you know, larger through the hips and waist, and then you might have a very lean person who is like rectangular shape. And if you put that pear shaped person in front of a lean athletic looking person, that pear shaped woman is going to by nature look larger than she actually is because she's standing in front of someone who's smaller than her. So learning to put people kind of in portraits according to their size or body type, you can really change the way that person looks and actually the way they feel about their body in a portrait. Because let's face it, anytime we see a group portrait that we happen to be in, we don't really look at anybody else. All we do is look at ourselves and then say, oh, I really like the way I look in that. Or, oh my gosh, I look huge compared to other people or I don't like the way I look or my hips are sticking out. So I think being able to identify where individuals in each portrait, what their insecurities might be about their own body type. And as women, we kind of know this. I mean, we really do. Um, I'm short. I'm four foot 11. I am, have always been a pear shape. So you know, if I feel like my hips look bigger in a portrait and I'm standing next to someone who's very lean, I'm instantly going to feel like I look larger. Also, if you have like an apple shape body, a woman who carries or, uh, you know, a woman who carries most of her weight in the top part of her body, um, she's going to feel 
uh, different standing next to someone who's leaner or in front. And I think using children is a great way to what I call like camouflage or block body parts. But when you're standing in front of a group, you can always kind of tell how people feel about their body. Women who are uncomfortable with their upper body may pull on their clothes and their shirt and, you know, be like pulling at parts of their shirt where they feel uncomfortable about their body. So, you know, I never seat for the most part, I never seat on her bum an apple shaped body because what generally will happen is the body will collapse and actually make her look larger on top. So always stand an apple shaped or a woman who is, you know, bustier or heavier on top because by standing her and leaning her over someone that might be uh, smaller on top will instantly thin out that upper body and she'll feel more confident. Um, A pear shaped woman can absolutely sit on the floor Um, If she has a leaner body, a longer neck, a leaner face, um, you can sit her on the floor and then put that apple shaped body, say over that shoulder leaning in so that both of those bodies look good together. So I like to know a little bit about um, consultation when say I have a family of six and I am calling you and I am want to book you as my family photographer. What is your the pre-talk before the concert, before the actual shoot? What is your process? Yeah. So is it going to be a nucleus family, like parents and their children? Is it going to be extended family, parents, their children, and possibly grandparents? Um, who's going to be in the family portrait? What are the ages of the children? Um, you know, I always meet with moms, new clients. I will always meet, uh, in person, uh, so that I can get to know her. We can talk. I find out what her children are interested in so that I can communicate with her children, uh, find out what her husband is interested in. What family hobbies do they do together? What do they like to do together as a family? Then we'll start talking about clothing, where in their home this portrait might be going so that we can start to put together a plan for the portrait. And then we'll talk about, do they want in studio? Do they want something more formal? Do they want an outdoor portrait? Do they want something? I live in Arizona. So do they want something in the desert? Do they want something in Sedona with red rocks? Do they want to go to a park? Do they prefer greens? Um, It all really depends on what the... Uh, what the mom is interested in. And also meeting the mom gives me an opportunity to find out what it is that she wants. And usually almost every single woman we meet will say, oh my gosh, I hate having pictures taken. I don't, I never like the way I look in pictures. Um, You know, I've been putting this off. I just want to lose a few pounds, blah, blah, blah. All of that. We've all heard it a million times. And my job is to make her feel comfortable to let her know that I'm going to make her look her very best. I'm going to help her with clothing choices that will accentuate the parts of her body that she does like and, uh, and kind of put in the background the parts of her body she doesn't like. So pear shapes, I'm always going to say, you know, wear a darker pant because that will take the eye away from the bottom part of the body. Um, if she is, um, you know, heavier on the bust, I will encourage her to say wear a V-neck because a V-neck will elongate the neck and make her face look naturally leaner and thinner. We talk about the retouching process, um, how I'm going to take care of, you know, 
blemishes, wrinkles, eye bags, all of that. And then I really start to talk about how most of us don't like the way we look in pictures because we're so used to seeing ourselves on iPhone or smartphone cameras. And while these cameras are high in pixels and do beautiful kind of high resolution images, those lenses are not portrait lenses. They they distort the face. They can distort the body. So you're looking at yourself over the last how many years on either these like selfies or the, uh, you know pictures that are taken on a lens that's not appropriate for portraits. Our cameras are really designed, phone cameras are really designed more for like landscapes and things like that because the lenses are, think about like a 35 millimeter kind of lens, which isn't always the most flattering for women. And then I talk about using their children to hide the things about their body that they don't like or that their children caused, right? Like moms who are like, oh, you know, I haven't lost the weight since, you know, Jenny was born four or five years ago. That's okay. We'll use Jenny to hide the things you don't like about your body. So I'm instilling confidence in her from the very beginning. I've got you. I know how to make your body look its absolute best. Now, that doesn't mean I can take a woman who's a size 18 and make her look like a size two, but I'm going to take that size 18 woman and make her look her very, very best so that she feels good about the portrait. And every single size is beautiful. It doesn't matter. And I like to focus on faces. For me, faces and relationships and arms around each other are the most important thing to me. And I always say to moms this, you know, when moms are like, oh, you know, I meet women all the time who are like, oh, I'd love to have a family portrait done. I know it's going to be expensive, so I want to wait till I lose some weight. And I say to them every single time, have you ever looked at a portrait or a picture of someone you really love and thought to yourself, oh, gee, they really should have waited till they lost some weight to be photographed because they just look too fat. No one has ever said that. And your children will never say that. And these portraits, while they're for you right now, they're really for your children in the future. And you're leaving them a gift that they will love. If there are no portraits of you and your children, someday when you're not here anymore, your children are going to be looking for them. And if they don't have them, they're going to be devastated. And so think of it in terms of what you're leaving behind for your children. And I think when we can be honest and say that to our clients, they get it. They go, you know what, you're right. And so all of my conversations revolve around that in the beginning. And then, okay, now where are we going to put this? Here are the products I offer. We're going to do, you know, something for your walls. And then we offer albums and image boxes. And I talk about how we're going to photograph all of the combinations, each of your children individually, your children together, you know, sisters together, brothers together, mom with each of the children, mom with all the children, dad. So I want to make sure that every child in that family has individual portraits with each of their parents as well as their parents together so that someday they have their own portraits that they can have that make them feel special. So that's pretty much the way the consultation will work for me. And then obviously we'll talk pricing and, you know, scheduling and then all of that stuff after. But the consultation is usually a good 45 minutes to an hour. And and then I'm letting mom talk a lot. And I send out a questionnaire prior to the consultation, which will 
she'll fill out for me and it's names of your children, ages of your children. What are their interests? What do they like? What movies do they like? What sports do they like? Do they have, you know, a favorite sports player? Do they have a favorite Disney princess? Do they have a favorite character that they like? So that this way, the day of the session, I can really start engaging with the children. And that's probably one of the most important things. If the children are having fun and the children are being awesome and have great expressions, parents really start to relax and then they start to have a good time. And when they see that their children are good, then the parents tend to be good as well. So yeah, that's a lot of the conversation we have. So I love if I can ask throw a little backup question to my original question. One thing that you said, I think is very important as photographers is to ask the client, what do you see as your end product? And I love how you said you, you, t- you actually talk to them before the photo shoot. Like, what is it exactly that you see for yourself and your family uh, from this session? Do you just don't take the pictures and then hope that they're going to buy something, but you actually go through the whole consultation of talking to them about what exactly do you see for your family or your extended family um, that you like to have. So do you show them pricing and everything else in the, in the first consultation about what you have to offer? And, and another kind of thing, do you go to the house and, and also look or measure walls or anything like that for wall art? Um, I can go to the house and I do offer that, but most of my clients will send me a photograph of some of the walls in their home where they're thinking about hanging portraits and I can input that into my sales software. I use ProSelect. So once they come in, I can start to show them some different designs. But during the consultation, I'm showing them the different products that I offer, for all the different wall art and then all of the different add-ons. So I don't sell a ton of product in terms of like different products. So there's wall art collections and then there's albums and then there are image boxes. So I have some clients who love the album that they can flip through and leave out on a coffee table. And then I have clients who love the idea of the image box where they can take the mats out, frame them, put them on an easel, change them whenever they want. And image boxes have become kind of a favorite product for me as well, because again, all of those combinations And I say to them again, someday when your children find this and they forgot that it existed, they're going to be going through these and each of them can take and keep the portraits that they are in. So it's easily dividable, whereas an album is not. Someone's going to be fighting over an album unless you order one for each of your children, which some parents do. If they like the idea of an album, they'll put it aside or um, say there's three kids in the family. I'll say, this is a beautiful album for you, and it would make a great Christmas or Mother's Day or birthday gift for grandparents, and then someday those albums will get passed down to your children, so they'll each have their own. So there's always a way to start prepping your client for the products, and then when they're in the studio, I'm showing them all of my art, uh, wall art now is done through Graphy. And so we look at uh, the Amalfi panels, which are beautiful. And then we do, we can do framed art. And then we can do any of the wall art in terms of the canvas blocks that they offer and, or the metal or acrylic. And so it depends on how formal a client is. If they like something more framed and traditional, we can go that route. If they like something a little bit more 
modern, then we would go towards, uh, you know, the, uh, the canvas block or the acrylic blocks. And if they like something even more museum-like quality, then we'll go towards the Amalfi panel. So finding out what their home style like is like is also very important because that will help lead me into that. And I think also the sale depends on the client. How decisive is your client? If a client walks in and says, I have a space over my fireplace, it's this wide, I know I want a portrait over there, perfect. We know we're probably going to put one piece over the fireplace. If they say, I have this room, this wall in my family room, and I definitely like the idea of multiple pieces, we're going to be thinking in terms of that. So then you might have a client come in who's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with these. I don't know where they're going to go. I'm not sure what I want. And you instantly know that that's not a very decisive person and they're going to need more handholding and more structuring. So even after, if so, after the session, when a person comes in for the sale, if she's decisive and she already knows where this portrait's going to go and has sent me the pictures of her wall, we're just going to plug in and I'm going to show her some different options. And she's going to say, yes, I love that. Let's do that, period. If I have that client who is like, I, I'm still not sure, I'm not sure, or the husband comes with her and he's like, well, I was thinking this. And, and she's like, but no, I was thinking that. Then I just kind of stop the conversation and say, why don't we set up a time for me to come to your house? I will measure the walls. I'll bring my computer with me and we'll look at it right then and there in your home. And I'll let you know where I think the best place for these portraits are. And the indecisive mom is going to say, oh my God, yes, please come and help me. And the decisive mom is going to say, nope, I know exactly what I want. It's going to go on this wall. I love those five pieces. And this is, this is what we're going to do. So I think it's really having, uh, you know, an intuition about what kind of client you're working with, a decisive one or an indecisive one, and then leading the sale based on those two things. So sometimes I'm sitting with a mom and I'm like, you are so decisive. This is awesome. She's in and out of the sale in an hour. She leaves. She's totally happy. If that sale starts to go like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, I know I need to go to the home and wrap this up. So sometimes it just, you really have to read your client and you can figure that out from the first phone call, from the first meeting. You can, you know, just by asking her questions, if she's, like I said, very decisive, knows the answers, you're good to go. If she's wishy-washy, she's not sure, then you know you're going to have to go a different way in directing her to what's going to work for her, her home, and her family. And Michelle, we like to talk about our successes, but uh, we often don't get to see the hardships and failures or stumbling blocks that photographers like who are hugely successful like yourself have experienced along the way. So what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? My biggest failure was going from wedding photography to portrait photography. Uh, I moved from New York in 2002. I still had quite a few weddings on the books and would fly back to New York, take care of those clients, uh, photograph the wedding, and then manage everything else post. And then I started uh, portraits in Arizona. I moved to a family-driven, kind of uh, family-centric master plan community. And... I would shoot portraits like I shot weddings and I would try to show clients, you know, as many images as possible. And I did not have the products or the workflow set up to accommodate them. And I was completely overwhelmed. 
Um, showing a client too many images will absolutely overwhelm them. Um, I learned very quickly that you have to edit to the best of the best or cull to the best of the best. There's no point in showing a mom three of almost the same identical image with slightly different expressions because she's going to love them all and not know which one to cut. So the culling process became extremely important and to narrowing it down so that the decision making for her was super simple because a confused client and an overwhelmed client doesn't buy. And in the beginning, I had a lot of people walking out the door saying, you know, I need to think about this. I'll call you. And then, and then they wouldn't call back because it was too overwhelming. I wasn't doing enough handholding and directing because I was used to wedding clients where you show them their entire wedding, you design an album for them with the, you know, all the best of the best images. And they're like, yes, I love it. I'll take it because they're buying a massive amount of images where with portrait clients, they're not. I didn't have a workflow set up for them. I was used to 30 clients a year, not 100 or 150 clients a year. So things got behind, things got misplaced, the ball got dropped quite a bit, and I was completely overwhelmed. And at that time, I hired a business coach to come in and help me set up systems that would make sure that I was following up with clients, that I was following the workflow from point A to point Z, um, you know, following up with the client, letting them know what place their order was in. So, you know, your images have been through the retouching process and they're getting ready to be ordered. I'm so excited. I love the way that they're looking. Your order is in progress and keeping them up to date on everything that was happening. And then narrowing down the product line was a huge, huge uh, thing for me. You don't need to offer 4,000 products. Again, that leads to confusion and overwhelmed, and that leads to a failed sale, in my opinion. So those two things wrapped up together made a massive difference in the beginning. And then later on, I think offering too many sizes, and I don't mean that you don't offer every size possible, you do, but you don't put every single size available on a price list at a different price. So at one point, I changed my pricing instead of 5 by 7 8 by 10 11 by 14 11 by 17 11 you know, like, I mean, every possible size to small, medium, large, extra large, or classic, uh, classic size portraits. Um, you know, I gave them a name. I don't have them off the top of my head right now. But, and within those, within a classic portrait size could be anywhere from, a 12 by 12 to a 16 by 20, and it's all the same price. So that when they're looking at, when we're in the sale, they don't have to say, well, what size is that? And I say that's, you have a medium size wall portrait with two small wall portraits, and that's the, this much money, and, you know, that's this price. And they go, oh, okay. So it, it never came down to a particular size, so they wouldn't necessarily go, well, oh, that, that size is this much money. What happens if we go down a size? That kind of thing. And I know a lot of photographers get that. Like, And it's just easier to say within this small size wall portrait, we can do anywhere from this size to this size. And it made my workflow on the back end even easier because on the back end, if I went in and I felt like, you know what, this client ordered a 16 by 20 but this portrait actually will look better as a 16 by 24. 
I didn't have to say to the client, oh, I need to upsize you because it's a little bit bigger. I just do the right size that's going to look perfect when it's finally printed. And when I show up to install that, I say, you know, you ordered the 16 by 20, but when I was, um, you know, looking at the cropping on it, I really believe that the 16 by 24 was a better fit and it's really the same price. So I just made it the bigger size for you. And that kind of makes you look more like the hero than trying to nickel and dime the client based on inches in a portrait as opposed to the portrait that looks right in the space. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's, it's amazing service for your clients. So I know that you are um, an explorer, Canon Explorer of Light, and um, that's um, one of the top uh, acknowledgements you can get as a photographer to being um, acknowledged like that. And I just wanted to say, as a photographer in many years of the business, um, I'm right now going on location for the first time in a very long time. So... I'm curious, you as the explorer of Canon, um, I just got my first Canon mirrorless camera, which I shot with today, and I absolutely love it. I was completely blown away of, of this camera. What is in your gearbox? What would you recommend? Um, I'm going for a location shoot in, um, out of the country. And talking about simplifying things, what would be in Michelle's toolbox if you went on the location shoot and you had to simplify things to make the best the maximum of um of uh, this session that you're doing um yeah actually being a canon explorer of light is is still probably the top highlight of my career it's been i think almost 17 or 18 years now um i was i think the first female wedding photographer that they brought on at the time i was um you know photographing weddings and um, it, it really is just s- such an honor to, uh, t- to be recognized that way and to have been able to stay around this long. Um, and I bought my first Canon camera, actually bought a gray market Canon camera while I worked on cruise ships in St. Thomas. And I bought it because, I mean, I was 20, 20 years old. Because the sales guy in St. Thomas was like, Canon's a great brand. This is what we have. And I have stuck with Canon my entire career um, other than when I shot medium format. But Canon was still always, uh, you know, I shot m- all my photojournalism for weddings with Canon, all my, my portraits with medium format. Um, so when, yes, I have been a Canon user. I've, I think I've had pretty much every Canon camera body <laughs> existed since uh, 1990. But, um, I didn't, I didn't go mirrorless right away when they came out with the first mirrorless camera. I still was attached to my Mark four and I didn't feel like the first mirrorless camera offered me everything I wanted. But when they came out with the new R five and R six, I was like you absolutely blown away. I opted for the R six, which is a little bit less expensive it's uh, not as high a megapixel as the R5. R5, I think, is 45 megapixel. And the EOS, the R6 doesn't do 8K video. I don't shoot a lot of video. And 45 megapixels, for what I do, was just too much. I actually, like, I kind of miss the days of, like, 6 megapixel, where your digital files looked more like film. Today, they're so incredibly sharp 
that it's not forgiving to skin. So like the R5 is phenomenal, I think for like commercial and things where you need like the ultimate detail or, you know, you're, uh, you're going to make billboards with it. So, um, I actually opted and I could go either way. Right. I mean, but I opted for the R6 because I think the price point is great and all of the specs in that camera work perfectly for what I do. So I love the R6 now. A go-to lens for me I would never live without is my 70 to 200, especially if I have to travel and get on an airplane. Uh, if I only had to take one lens, it would be the 70 to 200. Uh, but I also love the new 50, the RF 50 1.2 and the 85 1.2. I love a good prime, but when I'm photographing you know, kids or a family of four or five, I love that 7200 for a couple of reasons. One, there's a collar on that lens and I shoot on a tripod 99.9% .9 of the time. And I like the availability to be able to rotate my camera seamlessly from the collar of the lens so I can shoot vertically or horizontally. I also like the ability to like zoom in if I'm doing say a full length, I can instantly zoom in and have the, you know, the subjects squeeze in a little bit tighter and then I can zoom in a little tighter and you know zoom in on their faces so within the same pose I can essentially create three or four different images just by zooming in very easily um, it's incredibly sharp um, I love the you know I love shooting wider apertures even for family portraits um, people are very surprised when I say I often shoot at 3.5, 4.0 for family portraits because they worry about depth of field within the portrait. But one of the things that I focus on quite a bit, especially with those close-ups, is making sure that all of the faces are on the same focal plane so that I can shoot at lower apertures. Um, the uh, A good reflector is another thing that is always in my camera bag. Uh, if I want to, I can also use... Uh, one of my speed lights uh, as an off-camera light if I need to fill in any kind of shadows. But I would say if I had to leave the house with a camera and a lens, it would be the R6 and the 70 to 200 because it will give me the most flexibility and the lightest, the lightest bag I can carry. I'm also a fan of the grip. I, I prefer a heavier camera and I like the availability to when I shoot vertically to be able to have my hand on the side of the camera as opposed to like rotating with my hand on the top of the camera over the years that really wears on your wrist, it, you know, changing that position of the camera. So I'm a big fan of the grip on that camera as well. And I like the extra battery power. So that would be an absolute go-to for me. But the, the new system truly is amazing. The eye detection focus is, I, it, I, I can't even say enough about it. Um, you never have to worry about that tack sharp focus on the eye because it, it just tracks it so beautifully. So yeah, that, that would be my go-to. We want to respect uh, your time, Michelle, and please uh, go and sh check Michelle out at the Portrait Systems store and uh, her incredible family um, portrait portraiture uh, posing guide that and posing videos that she has on sale there. And follow Michelle here on Clubhouse and on Instagram, and follow us moderators. And if you have any other questions, 
before we close the room, please raise your hands right now. Um, Lenka, do you have any final thoughts or Michelle? Yeah, please. Well, if you know, if you're shy about coming on up to the stage, just DM it. DM me. Um, I, I'll get back to you if you have any questions at all. But um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always just honored to be asked to uh, to do this stuff. So thank you for having me. We have Melissa here. Up, uh, Melissa, if you'd like to unmute yourself and ask your question, please. Yes, Michelle. What um, kind of education? I know do you offer, or do you have anything off that you're offering right now? I know that you do have something. Is it on? SBE or the Portrait Masters for families? Is there anything else that you're doing? Are you doing any kind of training? Because I love the style and that you are doing a lot of the same things that Sue Bryce is doing, but you're doing more of the family version, it seems like. Yeah. Hey, Melissa, thanks for asking that question. Um, now that things have uh, started to open up again, I in November, I moved from a shared studio space with a very small shooting area to a much bigger studio space. So I have uh, 1400 square feet now, all mine. And uh, I plan on starting to offer in-person workshops because I think people are going to be so hungry for them and so hungry to get out of the house. And now that things are opening up and it's safer to travel. So I will be doing in-person workshops fairly soon. And I'm also developing some other video content that I'll be releasing. But um, yeah, stay tuned. And if you have you know questions, just email me and I'll keep you on a list for uh, setting some dates and stuff like that. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation, Michelle. You you are truly amazing. And, and I just, I would listen to you for hours. It's <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate, appreciate you guys being here. I thank everyone who came in to join in today and have a listen. And thank you for being here. It's, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you truly are one of my um, top favorite educators. Your energy and how you give, and it's—I've uh, been following you for gosh, it's going to age me too. I'm older. I'm older than you, but <laughs> I've been following you for years. Well, thank you. I think it's it's a responsibility and it's a gift to be able to give back to an industry that has given me a lifelong career that has it's been amazing. So it's, it's just paying it forward. That's all it is. Thank you so much, Michelle. And, and, and it, yes, I've had a fabulous you. evening with you. It's quarter to 11 now here in the UK. Oh. So I hope you have, you enjoy the rest of your day and Thank you so uh, much. hope to see you and hear you very soon. I love listening to, to these conversations. Well, thank you. And yeah. I, I hope to hear from you soon. And again, if anybody has a question, just go ahead and send me a DM and I'll get back to you. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Linka. Bye, thank everyone. You. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much to Anne, Lenka, and Michelle for that clubhouse chat. And up next, like I said, we have Sarai Taylor-Roman and Donna Maria Jones, and they both also have full episodes. Sarai is episode number one, and Donna Maria is episode number 49. So make sure to listen to both of their stories. They're both just so inspirational and so compelling, and they just have really, really great stories. Okay, please enjoy this next chat. I'd like to introduce our special guest host of this uh, Clubhouse edition of the Portrait System podcast. So Sarai Taylor-Roman, welcome. Thank you so much for 
volunteering to be our guest host today. And then our special guest is Donna Maria Robinson-Jones. And both of them are longtime members of the SBE community. And um, I just, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have been up to lately and what you have planned for the next five months ahead. Well, thank you so much, Ella, for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure, and I love ha uh, getting to reconnect with Donna Maria also, so this is going to be fun. Well, uh, right now, it's the beginning of the second quarter for, for us, uh, for our studio here in Tennessee. That's where I'm located in Knoxville, and uh, it's going quite well. Uh, it's been a good rebound after 2020. We were closed for about... Um, 10 to 12 weeks last year. And so, and then once we were allowed to open, I wanted to have some more precautions and make sure uh, that we could still have a hair makeup artist. So we actually stayed close a little bit longer until they were allowed to also um, do what they do. So, but since, you know, we started this year, it has been a great year. We're so excited um, with how everything is trending. And just so happy to be able to get back into the studio and serve our clients. How about you, Jenna Maria? Um, similar story. I, I was closed actually for eight and a half months of Oh my goodness. Yes. That's a lot. Um, no fun. But, you know, so I'm a firm believer in, you know, if one thing isn't working, you know, use their time and energy uh, towards something that's going to help you when the rebound happens, because there's always a rebound, you know, sooner or later. And so um, I took that time, I was closed from March until November. Mm -hmm. And I took that time to paint backdrops, to clear out the studio, to develop, um, you know, better processes, you know, knowing that things were going to be a little more restricted. Um, just getting some business things in order, paperwork, uh, taxes, you know, just all kinds of things. And when I opened back up, <clears throat> it was with a lot of reservation because, um, you know, you never want to turn a client away, but at the same time, you need to make sure that you're doing your part and making sure that everyone is healthy, you and your family. Exactly. And their exactly. Family. And so, you know, I had in my mind that when I opened, I was only going to take you know, a client every now and then, because you have to, you know, you clean between each client anyway, but the level of cleaning and sanitizing and disinfecting is on 1000 now. And, yes. <laughs> um, this is where if you have a smaller studio, it's actually a great benefit because it's not that much to clean. There's not that many places for the client to go. And that is not my issue. I have a 2,500 square foot studio and there, there's antique furniture and chairs everywhere and trying to block off an area where you don't want clients to go. While that work, it still left a substantial amount of square footage where clients were moving around, makeup artists is moving around. And so I literally, you know, for once I was having inquiries for sessions multiple times in the week. And I was saying, okay, I'm only going to shoot twice a week. Um, that got really crazy. So I had to open up, open up and then just put. Oh, it looks like we might've lost your audio there. Donna. Yes. Uh, so I used that time to try to, you know, there you are. 
flow, flow, <laughs> you know, make a make a more efficient flow to the cleaning and then the actual session and then cleaning afterwards. Um, so, yeah. And then as far as what I have coming up in the next five months, I've started my Divine Feminine campaign. I was not expecting <laughs> I was not expecting the response that I got. Um, within eight hours, I had 12 inquiries. And then within by the next day, I had 15 and now I'm at 20. And I am like literally trying to get everyone scheduled. So I know what I'm doing for the next five months is I'm trying <laughs> to uh, get this process rolling and improve it while I'm going. Um, so yeah, that's what I, that's what I have going on. <laughs> That is amazing to hear. I'm so happy uh, to hear that, you know, from being shut down for eight months, you're now rebounding and that you use that time uh, to also get back to the things that you think needed to get done. Uh, you know, in our, in my case, it was also to kind of rest a little bit um, and then focus on the things that matter and then re, you know, redesign uh, my schedule. So for when we were going to be open again, um, and it, it was just great. I also got into more creative stuff. I created a lot of like um, head pieces <laughs> that I ended up using for some of the Portrait Masters Awards. And um, it was pretty cool just to be able to have the time to actually dig through all the stuff that I had at the studio nice. uh, and create that. Um, so yeah, but for the next uh, five months, uh, right now, it's just keeping up the production as we have it more than anything else. Uh, you know, tightening systems, um, training my makeup artist to finally take over clients' uh, photo shoots too, uh, especially some personal branding and stuff like that. And then um, uh, she's already trained in sales. My husband's trained in sales. And so I have a second makeup artist that I'm going to be training also him uh, to do sales so that, you know, whenever sometimes, you know, schedules get kind of crazy, we all can do our part and and continue serving our clients here. Now, Donna Maria, uh, when I, I was, I, I think the first time I heard your story uh, was when you were um, invited to the podcast and were, and were uh, interviewed by Nikki. And yes. it's just amazing to hear your life story. I felt exactly <laughs> like Nikki felt when she said, when, you know, she was like, okay, do you mind me asking what your, how old you were when you started this journey? And, you know, because you had been in the Army and then in the Air Force and you had gone to school for medical stuff. <laughs> and you had done like what people normally do in like maybe three or four lifetimes before the age of 30. So <laughs> when you say it like that, I get tired. <laughs> and I thought it was super interesting, uh, you know, how you went from something that is, you know, people will not consider necessarily artistic to, um, to what you do now. So can you t tell us more about how that journey came about? Uh, so as far as moving from, uh, the medical and pharmacy side of my life to photography. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, sometimes um, things happen, things don't work out so well, and you have to um, readjust. And so um, 
you know, I, I loved photography and, and, and pictures when I mm-hmm. was really, really young, but never considered photography as like the profession. I, I knew that I wanted to be, I wanted to have a, a, a medical career. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, and as far as being creative as a youngster, I used to draw and I would paint and my pictures would wind up on the back of the Metro buses in the area, you know, that kind oh, of thing. Oh, amazing. Yeah. But, but it was never, it was never a thing that I, you know, I thought that I would be doing later on anything in, in the, in the arts, that kind of media. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was a vocal performer and dancer as a young person. That was something that I thought that I wanted to pursue later on. But, you know, I, it, it was, it was a toss up and the medical side won and for mm-hmm. lots of reasons. When it came to photography, um, after my son was born, um, I was going through a divorce and I picked the camera up as a way to just uh, survive. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yes. hard being a single parent. Um, I had family here in this area, but I was shipped away from here, you know, soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to chronicle the children's lives. So I picked the camera back up and I actually started developing the images, the film in my furnace room in the house. And I learned how to print. I had a dark room in that furnace room in the house. And so photography was really a a way for me to um, just, you know, get through that, that phase Mm -hmm. in my life. And the day that I processed and printed my first, image of my children, it was, I didn't think anything was more miraculous than actually giving birth. But when I saw that image pop up <laughs> on that paper, I was like, wow, that is pretty amazing. And so I just, you know, I like truly fell hard in love with photography at that point. And I photographed the children all of the time. I'm sure they were absolutely sick of it. Okay? <laughs> um, they were two and five and literally they were in front of the camera all of the time. And then I started custom framing images of the kids that I took. And so one thing led to another. And so mm-hmm. the photography piece actually grew while my children were growing because they they got a little older. They were both involved in sports and I would become the team photographer. And wow. so every time I turned around, I was using that camera to... Um, to help someone or, you know, as pleasure for me. And I Mm -hmm. found that the camera was actually, you know, of help to others and for me. And then it just became a joy. And so from that time to when you found Sue, how many years passed by? Oh, goodness. So I found Sue 2012, Uh 11, 12. Um, she hadn't moved to the States yet. <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I found her in 2013, but she was already yeah, in the so, States. So yeah. Yeah. So it was a long time ago. And so, um, in 2012, so we're talking, that was nine years ago. My mm-hmm. daughter was 22. So mm-hmm. if you can imagine from the time she was five to 22, those 17 years, the camera was basically, you know, in my bag, but it was really all about photographing the, the children. And then I tried to 
do it on a professional level and turning it to a business and it was not fun. So I went back to it being a hobby, but you know, I was being called, you know, it was just, it was just a matter of time. Yeah. You just have to do this thing. And I was conflicted because I worked really, really crazy hours. No, but I love, I love that. That would you say, you know, it it is something that kept calling you. And I see how, you know, when I first started photography, uh, I was at the time a high school Spanish teacher full time. um, And my daughter was, had just been born and it was quite hard also, you know, to manage the, the time at home when I had very little already after being all day at school. And, and I thought that at the time, the only possibility I had of pursuing photography as something that I liked was as a hobby, you know, because I was like, how can I make this work when I really already have very little time for myself uh, or, you know, just with all, all the things that are going around. And I love that with Sue, I was able to break it down into little pieces and say, okay, well, you don't have to do everything just yet. You know, and I, I actually designed a, a business plan that was going to allow me to ease out of my teaching job by uh, June of 2020. And it happened so much faster. Actually, by June 1st of 2015, I quit my job. But the fact that there were so many little pieces that Sue gave us step by step that I could do one thing at a time. You know, she has a 12-week startup that is about to start again on May 10th. And and I like how she's broken down into week by week. But in in my case, it took me almost 18 months to go through the whole process to be able to start getting clients, to learn how to use my camera, to learn posing, to learn how to style people, to learn uh, lighting, you know, and... How was that process for you? How long was it from the time, you know, you first learned about Sue and you say, you know, this could work and I could turn my hobby into something profitable? Um, so a little bit different. I, um, by the time I found Sue, oh gosh. So I retired from the Air Force in 2010. I can't believe it's been that long. Yes. <laughs> I retired from the Air Force in 2010. I remember I was 47 years old. And shortly thereafter, of course, I found Sue. And even though I retired from the military, I did not leave the military. So I literally retired one day. And the next day I was working at the military's medical school Uh, Mm -hmm. I was doing some teaching of medical students, and then Mm -hmm. I was also doing research for for everyone in the military. So for all the services, it was it was a it's a federal facility. So, um, but I you know that that yearning to to shoot more um, was was there. I still did not have a studio at that time. I signed a lease on my studio in uh, May of two thousand twelve but could not work in it until the first part of 2014, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, because it took that long just to get a use and occupancy permit because of all the things that had to be done to that building to get that use and occupancy permit. It was an old, it's an old building. It had only had two people in it and all of the upgrades and, you know, the, the code, and none of that had been taken care of. And so um, so I, I worked for four more years after retiring, uh, still doing that work for 
um, for the military. Mm-hmm. And I tried to resign because, you know, it was kind of hard to like really run the studio and then be at work all day, every day. And I yes. figured the amount of money I was paying for lease and the utilities and things like that, I really needed to be giving a hundred percent of my work time mm-hmm. to the studio. And so, um, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready in my head yet because I was used to still getting that check every two weeks. Okay. Oh, I- I understand that. I mean, I think that making that decision to leave teaching, even though it was a small check, it was something that I got every two weeks, even during the summer, even during all the breaks that they give us as teachers, I still got that. And, you know, what I could have, I could have, you know, not gone back because I had taken a sabbatical. Uh, my, My daughter was born in 2013, right before the beginning of the school year. And I asked for a sabbatical. Um, and then I went back as soon as she turned one year old. And that's when I realized that I was like, it's all right. This was a mistake. You should not have gone back. You should just have dedicated yourself 100% to this business. Now that you learned all the basics about it. Um, but it was hard because, you know, it was not just the paycheck. It was also the, uh, health insurance (laughs) and all of the benefits that normally when you start to work for yourself, uh, you don't have anymore. And it was a very difficult decision to make, but once I did it, it's like I, my business took off because now we had 100% of my heart. Is that how you felt? Is that how yours worked? Yes. Well, eventually when I, when I got Mm -hmm. to that point, because see, I, you know, whether I stayed, in that job or not, I had health insurance because I was retired military. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't, um, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't part of the equation that I had to worry about. What was happening was my heart was split. I I had Mm -hmm. two loves and Mm -hmm. I loved helping patients. I loved helping teach other medical providers how to take care of other people. Um, I, I knew that some of the research work that I was doing was no kidding, hands down, literally saving lives of our pilots mm-hmm. out there and our our airmen and the people that are on the ground in heart in, in harm's way. So, you know, it's it's hard to walk away from that when you know that every day, every single day when you get home, you did something to help save someone's life. I mean, like this is yes. like every day. So yes, um, it was hard to uh, let let that go. But at some point I realized, okay, just from a business standpoint, you know, I was never going to be able to put my whole heart into this passion if Mm -hmm. I was splitting my heart with this other thing. And I heard Steve Harvey say something, and I don't know if it's his quote or whether he got it from someone else, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll never forget it. He says, you know, a parachute is not going to open up if you don't jump. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I literally took that leap and I just turned in my letter of resignation and um, it was very interesting because they wouldn't accept it. And so I, <laughs> so I was literally, you know, for lack of a better term on the rolls, but not doing any work for an entire year after that, when I turned it in again and it was finally accepted, I was like, look, you can't keep me on the books and you don't want to quit <laughs> because if something happens, you want to be yes. able to go back. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. Um, yes. 
it was, but once I, once I did that and I walked into the studio and it was like, okay, here I am. You got me full time. I had no idea it was going to be more than full time <laughs> because I've, I've been working really, really hard. But one of the things that helped me be able to make that decision was, you know, before Sue, I was looking for information, business plans, anything I mm-hmm. could find to help me like prepare myself organize myself so that I could do this. Mm-hmm. Once, you know, even we're talking early on in Sue Bryce education. Yes. Early, early on in bed with Sue. You know, we're yes. talking way, yeah, a yeah, long, yeah, long yeah. time ago. And I from the be- like, at the beginning. In the beginning. Right, at the beginning. <laughs> I felt like there was a blueprint there and whatever was missing in the blueprint, there were enough people around Sue that could fill in those holes and give you the information that it was just time. Like it was my parachute. Mm-hmm. So I, I jumped. I love it. I love it. Um, I I know that there are several people in the group or people that have maybe, you know, are listening to us now that may be in the brink of making that decision. Uh, Is there anything that you, you know, would could offer to encourage them or to consider as they're making this decision? Oh boy. Well, you know, um, So everybody has a different belief system, Mm -hmm. okay? But the one thing that's common to all of us is whether we believe or not believe in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I climbed the ranks very quickly in the military. And I never even really sat down and thought about how quickly, um, you know, but people would bring it up. They were like, well, you were only in the military for this amount of time. How did you go from here to here? But I realized that, one, doors were open, but in order for me to walk through those doors, I had to be prepared, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I was very, very afraid to just drop everything and do this full time. So full transparency. I was terrified. Oh, yeah. I didn't okay? sleep for a whole week or eat yeah. before terrified. submitting my resignation. Yes. <laughs> I but understand I will tell fear. you <laughs> that I said, you know, worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you fail at this thing. Mm. What what could possibly come out of that? Well, mm-hmm. I would learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, two, if it's so bad that I'm like at a point of no return, I can always go back to work. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to lose? So I felt like the one thing that I had to lose was giving myself a chance I don't want to live with regrets. Yes. I just don't want to live with regrets. I don't want to be, you know, laying on my deathbed thinking, you know, I should have tried that. Mm. So I just figured if, it, if it's going to work, it's going to work. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But it's absolutely not going to work if I don't try it. So I just, you that know, so for all sure. I can say is there has to be, while it's terrifying, there has to be some some modicum of belief in yourself that you can do it with, with whatever help that you can garner, whether it is your faith, whether it is your family, whether it is friends, what, you know, who's going to be your, your parachute. And so, you know, I have a supportive family. I've taken out no, I've, I've not taken out any loans. I haven't borrowed any money from friends uh, because, you know, that's, 
that's a, that's a thing with me. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. I, I just have to be able to do it all by myself. And that can be a blessing <laughs> and a curse. No, it really yes. can because you can get in your own way because of that. And I think that there are some things that I will be much farther along if I just either accepted the help that was there or did the things that were already laid out. Case yeah. in point, everything you could possibly want to know about <laughs> how to succeed in this industry is right there at your fingertips at Supervised Education. And I have and lots of sources of information from, from outside of that. But if mm-hmm. you want a comprehensive you know, blueprint, it is all there. So it is. my point is I have not taken <laughs> advantage of every single thing that's in there. And sometimes I just have to go and, you know, do stuff on my own only to come back months later. Like, yeah, see, if you had just gone in there and just looked at that one video, you could have saved yourself several thousands of dollars, a lot of headache, <laughs> a lot of anxiety, and maybe you wouldn't have lost those however many clients, or maybe you would have more. So it, it's there. Um, it's a lot of information. The beauty of it is that it's broken down. And, you know, as far as the 12 weeks is concerned, I, you know, without that, I, I, I wouldn't have made the decision. Like everything is there and I'm still using it. And I have not once completed the 12 weeks from beginning to end in one try. Like, oh, I no, keep, for sure. I keep no, no, no. rolling. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. to anyone who's thinking about making that leap, um, I, I, I would say it would be nice to have a nest egg. Did I? No. Yes. I did not. Um, do I wish I had? Yes. Do I regret taking the leap? No. Mm-hmm. Um, some experiences for some of us are best learned. I mean, some lessons are best learned by actually having the experience. Yes. Um, there's a book that someone wrote that's about, about being the power of being broke. Oh, let me tell you, you will learn a lot of things. <laughs> well, you got to feed that belly. <laughs> yeah. You, you will learn a lot of things when you no longer have that regular biweekly paycheck coming in. Yes. Um, you will get real savvy and smart about how to do things. And I'm going to do it. I'm a DIYer anyway. Um, yes, but there were too. definitely a lot of things that I, I learned from, you know, just hitting the play button. <laughs> yes. No, that's for sure. Uh, this, I feel, you know, very similar in that regard. Um, for me, I didn't have anything saved either. Actually, I was in a lot of debt when I left my, my job. Um, and, I had, you know, we had just made bad financial decisions the previous years. Um, but I, to me, I, I asked myself the question, what is the worst thing that can happen? And I said, well, the worst thing that can happen is this doesn't work. (laughs) And I have the summer to make it work or not. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back to work. (laughs) You know, Um, if not at my current um, district, I can, there's always somebody looking for a Spanish teacher and uh, something like that, you know, they could hire me. And it was so funny because just this year, about a few weeks ago, I got an email from the Tennessee Department of Education saying, Sarah, you have not renewed your teacher's um, license and time's, you know, running out (laughs) for you to do that. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how far I've come, you know, since 2015 when I quit. 
that I had completely forgotten about it and how my life is so much different at this time. And I feel like I've gotten bolder uh, with every little uh, step I, you know, I take with certainty and conviction, like Sue says, uh, toward the dream uh, life that I want and that I've designed. So uh, it just makes me so happy to hear, you know, that, that you didn't have all ducks in a row. Uh, yes, it, it would have been great if you did, but you still went ahead and did it. And, you know, and just look at what, where you are right now. So that, that's pretty amazing. Yes. Um, My true test right now is, is actually, you know, um, our license has to be renewed in the state of Maryland mm -hmm. um, every two years. And it's, um, it has to be renewed by the last day of the month of your, your birthday. Mm -hmm. And my birthday was last week. So therefore the 30th of April of this year, which is so Friday. You know, a week or so, um, <laughs> I have to, I'm supposed to renew my license. And while I have some of my continuing education credits done, usually I'm like, you know, way ahead of the game. Like uh, the first year I have them all done and I coast the, the, the second year I do extra or whatever. And I don't even have what I need. And it's almost like, my 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 subconscious has made a decision for me yes. um that I'm I'm not gonna renew my license, but my logical brain is like, you've lost your mind. You better renew your license. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm having an internal battle right now because yes. um so yeah, I I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well that that uh well I, I know that you know you have followed your heart and it's paying off and it's super inspirational, Donna Maria, uh, to hear you now, to hear you then at your podcast. When I saw you at, at the Portrait Masters uh, last time that was in person and to see somebody like you just going for it, you know, and like you said, no regrets. None. Well, I just love hearing your story, Donna Maria, and just both, just hearing both of you talk about your experience. It's just I, I love it. I live for it. I love hearing uh, uh, SBE members' stories because it, everyone's so inspirational. And it's it's so interesting how I feel like every time I hear a story, how fear is like the first thing that people ever mention. Like they talk about being terrified in the mm -hmm. beginning and and then just like accepting that so they're able to like move forward with it. It's just, you know, it's like, okay, well, this is this is how we we grow, right? We face it and mm -hmm. we make a plan and we move forward. And it's just, it's really wonderful. Uh, Donoria, tell me about um, the moment when you were doing uh, the surprise, you know, type photo shoot that you realized this is what I'm meant to be doing. I would say when I photographed my mother, Mm. And that was actually more recently than not. I mean, it was, it was, um, oh, last, last year, the end, of, no, the end of 2019, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, when I photographed my mom, I, I had a, I had a moment that was, uh, that reminded me a, a lot of a story that, uh, that Annie Leibovitz told about photographing her mom. You know, you see your mother all the time in a certain way, but you know when you look at her through, uh, th you know, through your camera, and you start 
really seeing um, bits and pieces of your yourself. It's it's just it's a it's really bizarre, uh, and you realize mm. that you're stopping time and that you just want to you know have that moment. It was it was very emotional for me. Um, we had had a very you know we've been having a very interesting journey as she as she gets older um and i have my mother here in in our home and so um when i i photographed her i just i i just saw like a, a different side of her because my mother i don't know if i get this from her she's also one of those people that just does not like being in front of the camera she does hmm. not like having her picture taken there aren't a lot of pictures of her over the years and I, I wanted to photograph her before um, she was going in the hospital for something. And I, it, yeah, it just, it, it changed everything. I, for the first time, it wasn't just mom. I saw all of the wisdom in her face. I saw what my, my cheeks and my chin and my jaws are going <laughs> to look like when I'm, you know, in my seventies, cause she was in her seventies and now she's in her eighties. And I, you know, that, that was it. That, yes. that, that was it for me, photographing my mother. And then after that, I try to like draw out, you know, that feeling it, or as close to it as possible mm -hmm. with at least one image of each client. I want them mm. to, when they see that image of themselves, they are just overwhelmed with the space that they're in right, right now. And yeah, so it was a it was it was a moment for me photographing my mom. I'm looking forward to photographing her again. She's actually going to be a part of my Divine Feminine campaign. Well, I'm welcoming welcoming Shannon up onto the stage here. Hi, uh, can you guys? Hi, Shannon. Hi. This is my first time being on a clubhouse where I'm speaking. <laughs> Yay! Right. Um, I'm loving this conversation. I'm a Sue Bryce member, and I haven't posted anything to the Facebook group, but I'm a perpetual stalker. And I think I've listened to every single Portrait System podcast. Um, Thank and you. And I, I, um, I think I'm actually going to – I haven't submitted for awards or anything yet, but I probably will this next time around. I'm pulling up my big girl pants. Um, Yay. But I wanted to hop – hop on because I actually have a question for Sarai. Um, I loved your first podcast episode. I was giggling about how you brought the box <laughs> of donuts into the real estate <laughs> office and had that whole scheme to, you know, uh, with your friend who was an agent and stuff. It was just made me laugh. And so, um, that's actually helped me focus um, I'm basically get, just getting um, started with my business. I've been do, doing portfolio building for the past two years. And I think, fingers crossed, I just booked my first big bucks real client. Um, hopefully the invoice will come through. But um, yeah, so, and that's also with the real estate agent because um, I had done one for a friend who was changing careers into real estate and um, so it's just, I think these, this is, there's kind of like this built in referral system there and obviously demand for headshots. So anyway, yes. back to my question, um, I'm super inspired by your overall efficiency. It seems like you've got your studio on lock, your 
um, processes, like you're able to provide excellent service to clients, but you also have the efficiency and obviously really prioritize your own personal time. And Uh you're very clear with your clients on this is how much time you're going to get with me. And um, so I'm, I wanted to, my main question really is how did you, what are some of the main lessons or systems Uh or tools that you've implemented over the years to kind of get everything dialed in um, so that you can serve as many clients as possible while also not sacrificing on the service end? Because my approach, I'm really having a hard time figuring out how I'm going to cut down shoot time. Um, Right now I'm doing all the retouching, everything myself. I'm a single woman show, but I kind of like that control and I like um, being able to spend enough time with a client so I can really get them to open up. And I, because I, I just love seeing the transformation of being kind of shy and timid and then turning into this confident and powerful and sexy or, you know, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's, how do you, how, I guess any tips on efficiency and tools, but how do you manage that transformation still with limitations on overall time? I'd be happy to talk about it. Excellent. So thank you. Uh, So yes, um, I like to evaluate everything I do. Um, I like to see how I can always turn something into faster or better or more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember I was, I don't know, maybe 10 and my mom asked me to clean the kitchen floors. Maybe it was younger. I don't know. And she didn't tell me I like always instruction, but she, she was just like, Oh, here's the things you need. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would try to do it every day, slightly different, just in time myself <laughs> to see where, which way it could be done faster. So I could go and play and it mm-hmm. would still be just as clean as my mom expected it. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, that's just part of, I think my personality so I, every time I had a shoot, I was like, okay, so what went well, what didn't, and how can you improve it? And in my case, it started first with posing, you know, uh, posing was something I was not really good at. And I wanted to do all the 100 poses that Sue teaches because why not? You know, she makes it look so easy. And so I realized that I was spending about four to five hours uh, in a session with a client. Um, and you know, they were not buying more or less. My average was remaining the same. At sometimes I was flustered because I couldn't get the post to work. And sometimes my clients were just tired of doing post after post. And so after two years of, um, you know, trying to see what, what's working and what's not, I decided to look through all of the images that I had sold. And I realized that they were five poses that sold every single time, primarily because they were the most flattering. They worked on curvy clients. They worked on petite clients. They worked on everybody. And I said, okay, so what I did, I just created a system out of those five poses. And it got to the point, you know, they don't have to be my poses. They can be your favorite five poses. Um, But what I did was just like, okay, so I'm going to make sure that I use these poses in the same order with every outfit 
that every client brings. And of course, with every client, they're going to look different. They never look the same, but they're similar enough. And so I get to the point where now it's really like muscle memory. I do not have to worry about what poses to use. For every now and then I mix and match and I add something new, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, I try to stick to the poses that work and sell every single time. And uh, there was a point in the, when I was working on this that I realized that I was like, what if my clients think that's all she knows, five poses, and I'm paying this much money for that, you know, because I'm always my worst advocate. And so uh, uh, I was thinking of that and I said, well, you know, let's see what happens. And after doing it for a few months, I had a couple of clients say, Sarah, you know what? I really appreciate it that we did the poses in every outfit because by the time I got to the third one, I actually felt very comfortable in them. And when I looked at my images, that's where I started loving them from my third outfit on. And so I realized that it was not just something good for me that it allowed me to not even think about posing and focus completely on my client and connect completely with them, but it also allowed them to start feeling comfortable in those poses and showing me exactly who they were and how comfortable and natural and relaxed they look, you know, um, and so part of that is also preparing clients in the consultation. The consultation is paramount. Uh, and Sue talks about, you know, one of my favorite, uh, there's several videos on the consultation, but there's one that she did during the quarantine last year. And she is, uh, she filmed this from her bedroom and it's probably my favorite uh, one to watch. I always learn something new. And the consultation is so important because I set parameters at the consultation and they say, okay, so the day of the photo shoot, you're going to be here for 50, you know, 45 minutes to 50 minutes with my hair and makeup artist. They know that, you know, and I said, and this is how you prep to be ready for them. And then I said, and then you're going to change into your first outfit and I'm going to see you on the back. Uh, and so that's where, you know, the, the photo shoot happens. And I said, I can easily, you know, photograph you in six outfits for that next hour that I'm going to have you. Uh, if you think you want more because we're creating a whole marketing suite for you and you're going to need like 12, I can also do that. It will just depend on how fast you change. And I tell them there are no mirrors in the dressing room for a reason. Uh, if I put a mirror there, you're going to start looking at how everything fits. Make sure that, you know, you'll see, you'll find all the wrong reasons as to why you should not come out of that room. And so I said, so there's no, no mirrors there. But when you get out, you know, that's why my assistant is there. That's why I'm there. We are your mirrors. It is in my best interest for you to look your best. I will not let you not look good, you know. And so I'm going to make sure that everything that you're wearing fits you perfectly, that the camera is capturing exactly, you know, the, the slimming silhouette you want me to capture. And I show them the back of the camera, you know, after a few clicks, and then they relax. And as soon as I can build that rapport with them, which takes, you know, two to three minutes, then everything just starts rolling. And that's basically how I do it. You know, um, uh, you have to tell them from the beginning. I learned that from teaching. If you give somebody, you know, a rubric and say, this is what is expected of you. And these are the things that you're going to be going through. They relax and they also make sure that it happens. And then I said, immediately after your session, You'll have 30 minutes to go over your images and select the winning ones. And then you can decide whether you want a regular retouching, glam retouching, or, you know, minimal. And 
So I let them know that. And then as soon as they sit down with me or as soon as they sit down with one of my makeup artists or my husband, because now, you know, several of us can do sales, uh, they, they know that. And then again, the, as the first 30 seconds is explaining how the whole thing is going to go down, you know, in time increments. Mm-hmm. And so they know what to expect. They know how to go. And, you know, and they appreciate it. You know, for me, a lot of my clients, they come for personal branding and headshots. And it's time is important for them. Time is money. I had a client, you know, the first time that I actually started looking into how can I make this more efficient. She said, Sarai, uh, in 15 minutes, I can say I can close a multi-million dollar deal, <laughs> you know, because wow. she told me she only had a 15. 20 minutes for my consultation and at the time my consultation used to be an hour long plus four hours of a photo shoot plus you know an hour of a reveal yeah <laughs> and, and so, that's kind of uh, where I am now it was too much and so I I've gotten it down to the point where it's the least amount of time I'm still giving them service uh and, and it you know it pays off just because I don't advertise my clients bring more clients they enjoy the experience they feel taken care of they feel it's an even exchange of money and so they go and tell people about me. And so when, you know, that's one thing I didn't want to sacrifice, the fact that they felt seen, that they felt heard, that they felt pampered. So to me, it's about two and a half hours for my regular shoots. But I've done headshot sessions in one hour where it's 20 minutes of hair and makeup touch-ups, 20 minutes with me with up to three outfit changes and 20 minutes with our salesperson. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is so helpful. You're so welcome. Okay. Wow. Well, we are officially uh, out of time for this episode. Um, I just want to thank you both again so much for sharing your 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 experience, your stories, your expertise with us today. It has been truly wonderful to hear both of you speak. And I just want to make sure real quick that uh, if, if people haven't seen your websites or your Instagrams that you let us know how we can follow you online. So can you, can you both let us know? Uh, yes. So uh, you can find me on um, Taylor Roman Portraits. And that is my creative site. If you want to see what my headshots uh, look like, it's called Not Your Office Headshot on Instagram. And you'll see some of those examples there. That's about 70% of the type of work I do. And then uh, what Stu announced yesterday, or Tuesday, I think, was my, which is just starting up. It's the Take Action with Sarai um, about the mentoring services after becoming an official mentor with Sue. So, yeah, you can find me in all those three places. How about you, Donna Maria? Uh, Instagram is circa, at Circa Life Images. That's C-I-R-C-A Life Images. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So again, thank you both for being here today. Thank you to our audience for following us here on Clubhouse. Um, if you have any questions about Subrice Education, you can always email me and support, support at com. If you want to check out more episodes of the Portrait System podcast, you can look for us on your favorite podcast platform, or you can go to com forward slash podcast, and you can catch all of our episodes there. 
If you are a member of SBE and you have a follow-up question for Sarai or Donna Maria, you can always tag them in the members-only Facebook group and they will happily answer any questions you might have there. Thank you again for being here and I hope everyone has a great remainder of their day. Thank you for the opportunity, Ella and Sarah. Thank you so much, Ella. And thank you, Donna Maria, for being here with us tonight. Absolutely. Bye now. Thanks again for listening today. And don't forget, you can listen to either me or our special guests every Friday on Clubhouse at 11 a.m. Pacific. Thank you so much for listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? I also encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can find all of the education you need to be a successful photographer. There are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 90-Day Startup Challenge plus so many downloads showing hundreds of different poses. We have to-do checklists for your business, lighting PDFs. I mean, truly everything to help make you a better photographer and to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. 